0: my nft i almost 4x my money should you go and try and do what i did absolutely not okay this is not an endorsement don't do it 99.9 percent chance you're gonna lose your money before i tell you the story about how i did sell my nft and make money we're gonna watch this little clip uh from south park which does a great job of trying to explain the madness and much of the ponzi um shadiness that's going on in the world of nfts everything seemed calm at first but then this guy in a suit shows up talking about investment opportunities next thing you know these people over here started chanting hodl 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 hold on for dear life don't sell or panic when price spikes up or down they nfts nfts non-fungible tokens completely unique one-of-a-kind digital asset started mooning moon When the price has a strong upward trend. And then these guys over here started saying those guys right there right clicked them. Right click in reference to NFT pictures being screenshotted. And and called for a pump and dump. Pump and dump, artificially raising the price just to sell out and leave. Made these guys beat the living hell out of anyone who said it was just FOMO. FOMO, fear of missing out, the drive to buy before the price moons. And died screaming that it was the flippening. The flippening. A possible future event where Ethereum overtakes Bitcoin is the biggest crypto. Luckily, I came out of it okay. I got this little miniature donkey with a lit up sombrero. To put it into the, to the words of that video, what happened to me? My friend called me up, said, bro, gotta buy these NFTs. They're, they're blowing up. Go watch our other video where I talk about the NFT that I bought, why I bought it, and just the crazy conversation I had about which is the right NFT to buy. It's just, it's hilarious. I fully expected to lose all the money that I put into buying uh, my MFR, which was about one Ethereum. And it actually went up, and then it kind of went down a little bit, and then it went back up. And so on the second moon, I had listed the NFT for sale at an obscene price. This was my guy. You can see here, 4.9602 Ethereum. Um, and I bought it, you can see, for 1.1. So I, in, in two weeks' time, I made roughly four Ethereum. But again, this was just pure luck. Somehow the stars aligned. None of this makes any sense to me. Why I made money is just, it's, it's just pure chance. Uh, yes, my friend gave me a good tip to buy a collection that was on the up and up. Yes. But you're never going to know the next time around, is that the correct tip? Is it the wrong tip? I mean, it just there's no real logic in any of this. So there's no real explanation that I could even try to describe why I was successful and made money. What I hope by making this video is that instead of people saying, oh, I need to go get in on this NFT craze, I need to go try this and you know, double, triple, X my money. You actually heed my advice, which is don't do it. I should have lost all my money. This is just, you know, what is it? Fugazi. Fugazi. Right? It's just it's just in the wind. It is there's nothing real. Everyone, oh, NFTs are the next big thing. This, my little cartoon stick figure guy. There's no reason this guy should have been worth at one point roughly five Ethereum. What is it worth now? Is actually much less. The floor price now for these MFers are two. So it, me buying at 1.1, I would actually still be in the money. I actually still could sell it right now and maybe double my money as opposed to like, you know, four or five X my money, right? We'll make almost four Ethereum, it's insane. It's fun, but you should fully, just like gambling, right? Gambling, it's fun. That's why I did this. It's just like gambling. Why do you go play craps or blackjack? For the experience. When I go gamble, I absolutely expect to lose all my money. I do it for the experience. Maybe you make some money and that gives you a high and most likely you're going to lose your money. This is the same kind of thing. Every cent that you put into NFTs, you should expect to lose it all. And you do it. I just like I, why did I do this uh, MF -er thing? I did it for the experience of like talking with my friends about why to buy the, the cartoon stick figure that has a pipe versus the one that didn't have a pipe, versus the one that didn't have a watch. Yeah, I was bored on a Sunday and thought this would be fun and interesting, and maybe I could make some cool videos out of it, which I've been able to do, and I made some money, which is which is the icing on the cake, but you replay the situation, nine times out of 10, I should have lost all my money. Funny story, my other friends, who right, were the ones telling me to go put money into this, um, put in a lot more money than I did, and. I think I'm the only one that sold. They have aspirations that this thing is gonna be the next Borde Biot Club. Which it could be, it could be. But that's just not me, right? I kind of went into this with a number, right? You go to the gambling, you go gamble, and you say, what's my number, right? If I put a thousand dollars in, if I make 2,000, 3,000, I'm leaving. Doesn't care if I'm on a hot streak, I'm leaving the table, right? I, at least me, You kind of need to have your number before you go sit down at the table because then you kind of get hopped up. Oh, yeah, this is going to the moon, right? South Park clip. Those are pure degenerate tendencies. And yes, and I call some of my friends. They are absolute degenerates. I'm a degenerate. I did this thing. I got into this thing. This is pure degenerate status. This is just like gambling, but it's legal. Um, It's legalized gambling. That's what this is. That's 100% what this is. Legalized gambling and OpenSea is the winner-take-all platform of legalized NFT gambling. Um, Maybe eventually you have some real legitimate art that comes into this world, but as far as I can see, this ain't it. Maybe we'll replay this video in five, 10 years, and I'll look like a complete idiot but I'm totally fine with that because what is being sold right here, it ain't it. It ain't it. I'm just sorry. It's not it. Yeah, some of these, some of these NFTs, they, they give you access uh, to events, to like investment communities. Um, you know, they kind of unlock these perks, which is interesting. And I, and I do think there's a certain utility in that. Um, It's like joining a country club, kind of. Right. Um, But but you've got this digital gating mechanism that, frankly, is much more legitimate than just these pure play NFTs where you're buying a cartoon stick figure. And, And it's really just there's there's so many forces at play where you've got, you know, people that are putting in a lot of money, pumping the thing up. Right. Like the South Park, the South Park thing, I'm telling you, You want to watch this whole video, just go watch that minute long video from South Park like three times and this will actually make sense to you. Right. Pump and dump. Right. You just you do. You've got all these kind of crazy forces at play. This is all unregulated. You have no idea who's really behind, um, you know, these massive spikes for these collections. People just say, yeah, you know, I've got like a thousand Ethereum. Let's have some fun and just go run up this market kind of start having the NFT trends, get other people to pile onto it, hold it for a week and then sell. I can guarantee you that stuff is happening. And so it could have happened on MFers. I have no idea. I was um, one small little participant that was able to ride the wave and benefit from it. But man, you can never expect to really understand what's going on with these things. Did I right click on my... uh on my nft um no (laughs) no Uh, but he lives on in these videos so cimfer it was was good while it lasted for those two weeks elon musk coming to save the day in ukraine something we've talked about in the past what the real long-term game could be with elon starlink news has come out Past couple of weeks here with with the Ukraine Russia conflict, Starlink has now been activated in Ukraine, providing internet access to Ukrainian communities that that have had their internet shut down, have had internet uh, access blocked, or that infrastructure actually destroyed through this uh, you know terrible conflict. This is actually something we've talked about in the past on the show. Believe it or not. In actually, not in regards to Ukraine, but actually in regards to China, talking about how China was putting, trying to put the screws on Elon, essentially trying to crater the price of Tesla, um, and kind of exert their soft, you know, I think it's actually hard power, but you know, put their thumb on the scale of Elon and try to exert control and and power and influence over him via Tesla. In our interview with Robert Spalding, the general, um, he. He and I were talking about this exact thing about China trying to exert control and influence over Elon. Well, why would they care? Yes, maybe they care about Tesla, but you know the real underlying thought is that they care much more so about Starlink. You know, China has the great firewall. They are insane about how much they are monitoring and controlling uh, data and internet flows and tracking what their people and what... All the people in China, whether you're a Chinese citizen or just going there for the Olympics, are watching and consuming and doing online. Uh, That's the Great Firewall. And so Starlink actually is a mechanism to pierce the veil of the Great Firewall. It is satellite services um, that Elon's been shooting up hundreds of these small low Earth orbit Internet satellites that. Can provide internet access to remote areas. Um, It's functional in the United States. They've been doing trials of it with uh, the Pentagon and different defense forces. We've talked about all of this on the show previously. And my hope and aspiration was that Elon would free the Chinese people of the bubble that they live in called the Great Firewall and liberate them with information. Um, and provide a similar kind of internet capability that he has now activated in Ukraine. Clearly, I mean, Elon is behind this. How did these things just show up in a mat, literally a matter of days uh, into Ukraine by the truckload, right? Elon's making moves and the guy's the man. Um, hopefully, something like this could also make its way into China. Maybe it already is. We don't know. Uh, Chinese, Chinese media certainly would not want us finding that out. So now Russia ain't too happy about this. The director general of Russia's space agency, he goes, when Russia implements its highest national interests on the territory of Ukraine, i.e. when Russia invades a neighboring country that's otherwise peaceful, Elon Musk appears with his Starlink, which was previously declared as purely civilian. You could make the same argument that weren't these countries supposed to be at peace and not actually supposed to go to war? He is the light of the world of cosmonautics, right? So there's a bunch of people in his space agency that are very big Elon fans. Um, here, look, he has chosen the side. I don't even blame him personally. This is the West that we should never trust. They can't do anything to stop it, right? Otherwise, uh, you know, what are you gonna do, try and do? You're gonna try and take out these generators, which is, uh, you can't scale that. And these are very small transmitters, right? So they can be sprinkled around all over the country. So if I'm China, oh boy, this just got real. And you know that China saw this from a mile away. That's why I think when we had Rob Spalding on the show, we were talking about the little things that China's doing to kind of you know push Elon and tinker with Tesla, I think was ultimately to try and, they obviously have their eye on Starlink. They, they, they demand, they must have the CCP, must have control over groupthink, thought policing, and what people in their country are listening and watching and reading and consuming. And this is actually a viable way to pierce that veil. And that's what's so cool about this. And you're seeing it play out in the Ukraine, short of, I guess, trying to shoot down these satellites. But the the thing is, there's literally hundreds of these satellites. These are very small satellites. They are in, I guess, low Earth orbit. So you theoretically could try and shoot them down. Um, But there are so many of them. Very hard to shoot all of them down. Certainly, maybe you could degrade the quality of the service or something if you shot enough of them down. But this is the new age. And Elon, uh, a heralded platform savant entrepreneur going all the way back to his PayPal days, uh, knows a thing or two about disruption. And we're certainly seeing that play out. So love this. And kudos to Elon why does uh elon find himself in hot water more than other of these tech billionaires i think is ultimately driven by his desire to do what he thinks is right you know right for i'd say humanity um when you think about why he started tesla in the early days why he started a rocket company he almost actually had to be committed to the loony the loony bin um with how much stress he was under, he bankrupted himself. Um, he was in, took hundreds of million. He had like $300 million in maybe net worth and then put all that money into his companies. And, and then I think a few hundred other million dollars. So he put all of his life savings, all of his money from PayPal um, into getting these businesses going. And I think his inspiration for why to go and do this was very... Uh, true and genuine in terms of him saying, "Hey, we have a you know a fossil fuel problem. Um, what it, what is the kind of the literally the largest consumer of fossil fuels, cars? How do I how do we fit, you, you know you want to fix global warming and climate change and our uh, addiction to fossil fuels?" Fix the cars, right? Every single automaker, traditional automaker, had it out for him for probably like a decade, publicly um, questioning the safety of his vehicles, uh, questioning his own sanity and, um, you know, turning all of their forces around them, industry forces, media forces, which is a very large amount of pressure against him. Same thing with the rockets, right? You have a lot of entrenched interests from... Boeing and these other kind of large defense contractor rocket companies that literally got, you know, their asses handed to them, frankly, um, by this guy who knew nothing about making electric cars or uh, self-landing rockets. And again, you know, the rocket company was he wanted to help see humanity uh, be a multi-planetary species and get to Mars. I think that's ultimately what drives the guy, and it it gets him into hot water from time to time. But you don't, you know, look at these other tech billionaires that have these platform companies. Um, yeah, Elon uh, uh, Bezos has gotten into rockets, but it's more of like a space tourism company that that uh, Bezos is trying to do, which probably is more so just to satisfy his insane ego than it is about kind of uh, some kind of uh, saving humanity altruism uh, um, that, that you saw with Elon. So, you know, what's Zuckerberg doing? Meta, wanting to go into the metaverse and just plague us with ads in our Google, you know, in our Oculus headset. We really don't see, I mean, there are others. Um, if you look at uh, Alex Karp from Palantir, um, who really is trying to say, hey, we need to help U.S. and Western uh, forces compete, right, with AI and machine learning and from, from a defense standpoint. And he's not afraid to say it, right? And he's trying to say what is right, what needs to happen, even in the face of a world which loves to be so politically correct and not take a hard stance on anything, There are a few, um, Elon clearly being the the best example, but um, you know I think they're trying to do what they think is right for this country, uh, for the environment, for society, for humanity, and you got to give them credit. There's really not, I'd say, that many others that are that are really doing it uh, for those reasons, right? They may do it just because they've got billions of dollars and it checks the box from a publicity standpoint, but you know there's a few of these. Entrepreneurs that are really putting it all out on the line. And you got to give them credit, even if you disagree with certain things that they do from here to there. You you got to appreciate they don't have to be doing this, right? Elon could have just retired at a few hundred million dollars and literally chilled. But no, he didn't. So you got to recognize that. eBay now accounts for less than 5% of all US e commerce. Is this the end for this legacy platform stalwart of the kind of internet economy? Or can they tweak their business model enough to make a comeback and gain back some much needed market share? Interesting article came out, Marketplace Pulse, talking about how eBay now accounts for less than 5% of U.S. e-commerce. Is this just a fact that U.S. e-commerce has grown so aggressively? Or is this a symptom that, uh, or a premonition of eBay's demise? Article says, hey, uh, eBay had more than 10% share of U.S. e-commerce a decade ago. But, you know, what? that's not really a fair comparison. As the rest of the market continued to grow, eBay did not keep up. I think to me, it would be kind of more interesting to see is, you know, show me eBay's share of e-commerce compared to other comps of uh, like market e-commerce marketplace companies over the past 10 years. To me, the interesting comp would be Etsy. You could look at Amazon, but the, it's not really a one-to-one comparison. Amazon, right, is investing aggressively in logistics and fulfillment, aggressively in one-p first-party product, Amazon Basics, etc. Etsy, to me, is a really good comp. And line those two up and say, how is it that Etsy's been on fire with COVID and eBay? has been fudging their GMV numbers. Go look at the video we did a few weeks ago where eBay slyly restated its GMV numbers, said it wasn't a big deal, but it actually is a huge deal. The number was over $40 billion of overstated GMV, uh, which eBay shyly, slyly um, said, oh, don't worry about this. $40 billion in overstated GMV, go check out that video. Anyway, point is, Etsy, on the other hand, has a very similar business model, right? It's decentralized in the sense that there's no like centralized fulfillment. You've got a bunch of homemade goods, kind of third-party sellers. Not necessarily used goods, it's a lot of like homemade craft goods, right? But similar kind of transaction flow when you think about it. But Etsy's on fire. Now doing M&A, Etsy bought Depop in Europe for a couple billion dollars, which is a secondhand clothing marketplace. That is a spitting image of what eBay should be, right? eBay should own secondhand clothing, which we've talked about is like, it's literally a whole industry in and upon itself, right? You have like new clothing and then secondhand clothing. And within secondhand clothing, you've got, um, like certain verticals like sneakers, StockX and goat, use kind of cheaper clothing. And then you've got used nice designer clothing, right? There's like whole, massive multi-billion dollar segments just within that. How did eBay miss this? And I think this speaks to this idea of kind of horizontal mega marketplaces and then vertical specific marketplaces. And this is a theme we've been talking a lot about on the show for years, which is this constant battle between the vertical specific marketplaces, which can solve uh, for certain value-added services, for example, with StockX and Goat or other kind of luxury good clothing marketplaces, right? How do you verify authenticity on those luxury goods, right? That that requires a value-added service from the marketplace to help instill trust. Um, whereas you look at eBay, there's all this counterfeit stuff and eBay isn't stepping in to the middle of that transaction to help say, hey, I'm going to have a staging area send me the Louis bag. I'm going to help verify the Louis bag is legit. And then yes, now you can buy your used Louis bag on eBay, which has been happening for decades, by the way. But like 90% of that stuff is counterfeit. So ultimately I think, you know, this was yes, leadership and management mistakes, strategic errors on behalf of eBay management with multiple tenures involved here. Uh, multiple executive teams have now cycled through eBay. Part of their biggest mistake was the inability to say we need to change our business model. eBay has not wanted to get in the position of really investing in what I would call that like physical infrastructure. A lot of people would associate that with doing fulfillment, but you know, as you'll see, just with that one example on. kind of verifying authenticity that's much more than just fulfillment right fulfillment now is table stakes and that has also plagued ebay right people want their stuff quickly and if ebay isn't helping to provide something equivalent to do two-day shipping and you need to pay for your shipping separately from each seller right like why didn't ebay just say we're going to set up a massive warehouse third-party sellers um send us all your used stuff and now If your stuff is in our warehouse, we can batch orders together, and people could now buy from multiple sellers and we could batch ship stuff in one shipment. And we could maybe even give free shipping if you buy three things because they're all coming from the same warehouse, right? Hmm. But that would require a change to how business how eBay's business model has operated for decades. Ultimately, no one there in, in leadership had it in them. To make that departure, um, you know, they always wanted to say, "Hey, we don't compete with our third-party sellers." That's what the former CEO Devin Wenig uh, tweeted at Jeff Bezos when Jeff Bezos took a shot at eBay and pointed out eBay's slow growth with third-party sellers in one of his annual letters. But there's a difference between competing against third-party sellers by being a one-piece seller and selling. First party inventory and providing other value added services that remove friction from the core transaction and ultimately are providing more value to both seller and buyer. eBay has absolutely failed to do that. They have tepid growth at best. And, you know, they've needed to do more and haven't had the leadership to go and do that. And that's why you see their stock here really still up above where it was. When COVID hit, you know, compare that to, again, Etsy, which I think is a much better comp, right? And not even close. Uh, eBay was like around 40 bucks when COVID hit, now in the 50s. Etsy was around, you know, 60 bucks when COVID hit, now in the 150s. And And at one point, end of last year was... Is actually close to 300, which is crazy. I think that's a much better comp. And you look at Etsy really going more vertical specific, buying a company like Depop. They just did another acquisition in Brazil, which we love. So Etsy's really making moves to say, yes, you know, you can have multiple core transactions, still has this kind of looser you know, seller to buyer core transaction where the platform isn't taking on 1P inventory like in Amazon, but understanding that you need to go deeper and provide other value-added services to have a successful marketplace business model in today's environment. And, and appreciating that um, and now having multiple now vertical specific marketplaces that all kind of roll up under the Etsy umbrella. Love that approach. Do not like eBay's approach. We have now a stampede of Western firms vowing to leave Russia. The question is, what about China? So a few days ago, McKinsey and BCG, the two top uh, global consulting firms, but, you know, American consulting firms nonetheless, came out with news that they were going to stop working with Putin's government, with with the Russian government, right? That's nice, but... Yeah. Like how much business are you really doing with the Russian government? I mean, maybe they're actually doing a good amount of business with the Russian government. Yikes. Um, But okay, that's nice, but not too much of an economic impact on those firms. Right. Then the fervor started to build. They said, well, the same reaction I had was, oh, the Russian government. Okay, what about Russia more broadly? A few days later, it started to build. Hey, uh, you need to do more. McKinsey and BCG face calls to cut ties with Russian businesses. And now, you know, the dam has broken. Accenture has come out and said they are not working in Russia at all. Accenture has over 2,000 employees in Russia. Let's figure out what to do with those folks. Airbnb is now piling on. They're saying they're suspending operations in Russia. Don't really know what that means. Volkswagen's going to stop production in Russia. Spotify had closed its Russian office indefinitely and has restricted content created by Russian state media. So you are seeing the cancellation of Russia. Might say to yourself, oh, is this right? Is this wrong? I'll make it really easy for you. This is 100% right. This is actually belated. This should have happened years ago. And the real question is, okay, so now do China. Let's line up the travesties committed by both of these communist, authoritarian, authoritarian, Dictatorship countries, right? This isn't this isn't a problem of the Russian or the Chinese businesses. But what everyone needs to understand, themselves included, is that they are enabling these dictators, these communist regimes, to carry out their atrocities within their own country and in neighboring countries, right? China is literally committing, literally, right now, committing genocide to their own people, the Uyghurs. We had the prime minister in exile of East Turkestan talking about, you know, the the wretched treatment the Chinese government has carried out on millions of the Uyghur community in China. It's actually been labeled a genocide by the U.S. and the U.N. and multiple other countries. Oh, yeah. Did we forget that China literally took over Hong Kong? Yeah, that was that wasn't like, oh, Hong Kong wants to join China. No, that was them conquering Hong Kong. This article says the amount of trade between Russia and the United States is negligible. The U.S. imports almost nothing from Russia. So this isn't that big of a deal for these companies to cut it off. So this is the real litmus test. You can't do work with communists. I would like to pat myself on the back and APLICO on the back for having been living by this creed for years. It's been very clear to us that you can't do business uh, in these environments. You just can't do it, right? You will sacrifice... Too much. It's just not worth it. Now we don't have thousands of employees in Russia. We actually don't have any employees in Russia. But we do get inquiries uh, to do business in Russia. Two months ago, December, I was invited to speak to, um, like one of I think the biggest like grocery store retail group in Russia, offering me sixteen thousand dollars plus first, ca- first class travel. We don't work with communists. Is this company communist? I don't know. Is their business ultimately benefiting a communist regime? hundred percent. So the answer is no, no, not going to Russia. Not, it's a nice fee that's neither here nor there because we're not doing it. So yeah, we haven't, we were doing that before. It's now in vogue to not do business in Russia. But the real question is, are you going to hold China to the same standard? We do. Well all these companies